You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast, I'm back from Minneapolis, thought out and alive. I'll tell the tales, but excuse the raspy voice. I'll put the Pro Football Hall of Fame committee on blast. I'll give you my two cents on Justin Timberlake's halftime show. We'll talk TV ratings and then rat-a-tat-tat through my new feature, 10 and 10. You got, let's call it 30 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go. Oh, boy. Yep. This is huge, Jim. Finally, Monday, Feb 5, 2018, the Monday after the Super Bowl, and I am back. Back from Minnesota, back from going to the game last night, where I did not leave early. I know, a great disappointment to many that I, the king of the ale theory, would not apply the ale theory on the biggest game of the year. But truth be told, I had nowhere to be, and it was still kind of early, truth be told, I think I got back to my hotel room last night, I'd say comfortably by 10.30 or so. And I had time, in theory, to knock out this Zabecast last night in my hotel room, which I had done the last couple of days. But by the time I got home, I'm like, ah, a little bit tired. My, my voice is even worse than it is now. And I don't know why, because at the game itself, I was not yelling. I was not cheering. I was there alone. And I just sat there in the auxiliary press section and just watched the game. I watched the game live, and I absorbed it in its entirety. Let me get to my experience in the stands as a fan at the Super Bowl. First and foremost, I was thankful. Thankful I sat there and I was sitting to my, you know, thinking to myself because there was nobody with me. I was like, don't take this for granted. This could be the last one you ever go to. How many other people get to go to the fucking Super Bowl as part of their job? Anybody? Bueller? Look at all the free stuff you get. Pretty cool, right? And it was. Absolutely. Second Super Bowl game I have been at. I was at the 94 Super Bowl in Miami. That was the Denver Broncos against the San Francisco 40. No. 49ers versus the Chargers. There it is. That was the Steve Young get the monkey off my back game. And it was, so 1994, I went with one-on-one sports in Chicago. And that's where I was working at the time. Mark Jenskow was our senior producer. He was kind of our program director. 
Mark was an amazing guy. And here was the media dynamic back in 1994 in Miami. We show up as the only national sports radio network in the country that did 24 hours a day programming. That's right. One-on-one sports, terrible name, based out of Northbrook, Illinois, was the only station, the only network, I should say, that did 24 hours a day national sports talk radio. Stop for a minute and just consider how crazy it is that that was the case back in 1994. But it was. ESPN Radio did exist, and it was doing some programming, but mostly at nights and on the weekend. They weren't doing 24 hours a day. We were it. So we roll in, and back in 94, the media coverage of the Super Bowl was dominated by writers, newspaper writers, because in 94, the internet as we know it did not exist. It might have existed in a primal sort of incarnation that only the super nerds knew about. But there was no internet at the Super Bowl. It was writer-dominated, and the big thing was you could go and get newspapers, physical newspapers, from all the different cities that would drop ship their newspaper. Not all the cities, but a good selection of a dozen or more cities. And the writers were king back then. There was a radio row, which probably had only 30 to 50 Stations from around the country, I believe there are well over 120 this year, which is down from probably 150 in years past. In fact, I heard from a guy who said unofficially he heard the NFL admit to him that Radio Row was down about 30% this year. Understandable, given it was a tough week up there in the mall, freezing cold. But yeah, it was about 30 stations and us. We had these cell phones that were like the Gordon Gecko on Wall Street cell phones, the earliest incarnation of cell phones, giant brick handsets that would require hours and hours of charging for about 45 to 50 minutes of talk time at an exorbitant rate. I mean exorbitant. And what we would do as young producers and reporters is we would then get players as they broke out into their little interview sessions with the media. We would get players to you know, grab the phone and we would put them on with our hosts back in Chicago. Hey, uh, hey, we, Stan Humphreys would be an example. He's the quarterback. I don't think we got anybody as you know, high profile as the quarterback. But we would say, hey, uh, you want to go on with Larry Kotler of uh, 1-on-1 Sports in Chicago, National Network? And they'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. We'd hand them the giant brick phone, and they would do an interview. It's amazing to think back to those times. So Mark Jenskow was my producer, executive producer, boss, program director, what have you. And he was unbelievable at booking guests. He would go to any lengths to book guests. He found out that apparently Jimmy Johnson was going to be having dinner at some swank restaurant in Miami. And said to me, come on, let's go. We're going to go try to get Jimmy Johnson, who was a big swing and dick personality back then. Still is today. But Jimmy Johnson coming off you know, his firing in 93, I believe it was, from the Cowboys or thereabouts. The, you know, the, the, uh, the toxic divorce with old Jarrah. And he said, I, I, I want to try to get 
Jimmy Johnson on our station or on our network. And I'm like, well, how are you going to do that? Because we did not have the big brick cell phone. And I had no idea, well, how, how is he going to call in to the show, whatever. Jen's guy's like, just leave it to me. Get to the restaurant. We go up, and he spins some line of bullshit about being friends with Dave Wonstadt, who was one of Jimmy Johnson's boys, one of his assistants from back in the day. You know, I'm, I'm friends with Dave Wonstadt, the current coach of the Bears, and uh, he's he, here with Jimmy Johnson, and they're having dinner. You know, do you know where he might be? And I guess they kind of pointed him out. goes, you know, kind of works his way, and I'm watching from afar. He works his way into the middle of the restaurant. This was a hell of a restaurant, by the way. It had a swimming pool that had sort of windows to the swimming pool underneath the surface as you walk in the restaurant. So you walk in the restaurant, these big bubble windows that you could look into the uh, swimming pool, and they had hired mermaids, you know, models who unfortunately did have tops on. They were not topless, but they were dressed up as mermaids, and they just swam around for hours at a time during this restaurant. So my boy Jen Scow finds Jimmy Johnson and Dave Wanstead, and he kind of sneakily goes up there, and I'm shitting my pants at this point. I'm so nervous. I'm you know, a young guy. I'm like, oh, my God, what's he going to do? He moves into the table, somehow inserts himself into the conversation at the table. I see them laugh, and I'm like, okay, this is good. He's got some traction here. Talk for a, another minute or two, and then Jen Scow gives him a handshake and leaves the table and comes back to me. And I'm thinking at this point he's going to say, yeah, yeah, he shot me down. And I'm like, well, well, how'd it go? And he said, yeah, he'll be on uh, with us in five minutes. He just wants to go ahead and order, and then he'll have a couple minutes. He'll be glad to do it. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, where's he going to do it? And he goes, that payphone right there. Goes, gets on the payphone. Calls collect back to the station, gets them hooked up, sits there, stands on the payphone. Sure enough, in about five minutes, Jimmy Johnson, with his magnificent hair, comes over, and Mark says, you're going to be on with Ted Green. Here you go. And he hands him the phone. Now, Jimmy Johnson didn't know who the fuck Ted Green was. You probably don't know who Ted Green was. You might want to Google him. He was big back in the late 80s, early 90s. He was on Roy Firestone's show all the time. Based in L.A., cover the Lakers. <laughs> he was, Ted Green was a bag of shit. Let me just say that first and foremost. Ted, if you're listening and you're, you're doing well, God bless you. But I'm going to be honest, bud. You were a, an awful person to us back in the day. Ted Green had come to the network from L.A. And he was, he would brag all the time about, you know, ah, you know, I did this contract for 110 grand a year. It's no big deal. I'm, I'm looking to do this. I'm looking to do that. Anyway, much older than most of us at the network at the time. Not much older, but a good 10 to 15 years. And obviously he'd been in the business and he knew people. So he, he wielded that over people, uh, that he was this big shot from California. He was like our star afternoon host back in the early days of one-on-one sports radio. And so Jen Scow gets him on in the late evening or late afternoon, I should say. I think it's just before 7 o'clock Eastern. So Ted was still on the air. And Jimmy Johnson does an interview as I sit there watching him and then looking at the mermaid swimming in the uh, in the fish tank. 
And Jimmy's laughing, smiling. Seemed like he had a great time. Gets done with the interview, hands the phone to Mark. Mark says, thank you so much, Coach. I really appreciate it. Jimmy's like, no problem. Goes back to dinner. Now, that's a fucking get right there. Nowadays on Radio Row, they just feed you everybody. And it's not really high-quality guests. It's the kind of guests that, well, you heard last week on Radio Row. That was the last time I went to the game. I don't remember much about the game other than the fact that Deion Sanders, then a Niner, absolutely locked down one side of the field for Stan Humphreys and the Chargers. They had no chance in that game. I mean, they had no chance, and they got completely routed. And I just remember watching from the stands in Miami, I just was watching in awe of how Deion Sanders was able to warp the entire field because of how well he could cover his guy. I mean, Humphreys didn't even look over to his side of the field. It was absolutely amazing. So we get done with the game, and now I've got to go try to collect some sound bites from various players in the tunnel and after the game on my cassette recorder with my microphone hooked up to it to then cut up the tape and send it back to the producers in Chicago to go, oh, yeah, you've got this uh, bite of, God, I really need to find the 94 Niners so I can throw some names at you. Profootballreference.com. You just sit tight, everybody. Uh, Pro Football Restaurant. Doesn't really matter. I'm in the bowels of the stadium, and I'm going to get sound from people. Wouldn't ESPN have sound of players? Some. But I might be able to get a better sound bite. Because who knows who else is in there interviewing a certain player who might be saying something. Because like I said, the world was completely different media-wise. And I stuck my mic up there, and I didn't get anything special. But, you know, I was just there around the locker room. And the whole time, Jen Scal, again, balls of steel. The best bullshit artist I've ever seen. Amazing. He, uh, he's he got this mini helmet, this Niners mini helmet that he's carrying around with a Sharpie. I'm like, what's that? He goes, I'm going to get Steve Young to autograph it for me. <laughs> and I'm like... No, like I was like saying, I didn't want to like argue with him because he was my boss, but I'm like, don't they like frown on that? You know, because you are in the media, you got a press pass. He's like, ah, no, don't worry. I'll get it done. You watch. Of course, after seeing the Jimmy Johnson episode, I didn't doubt him. Sure enough, it's late. Steve Young is being shuttled around all over the place. I mean, he's doing this, 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 this. Jen Scow's kind of hovering, kind of following, kind of hovering, kind of following finally finds his opening and just beeline right in there. Hey, Steve, great game. Would you mind autographing this for my kid? He didn't have any kids. Steve Young is like, yeah, no problem. Steve Young was on cloud nine at that point. Signs it, smiles, gives it back. Jen Scow looks at me like, did you fucking doubt me? Good times back in 94. Yes, I had, uh, had some hair back then. I was a bit of a player. Back in the day. This Super Bowl, going to it, I mean, I appreciated it because, like I said, who knows if it will be my last. These opportunities are not always guaranteed. Thank you to CJ, my boss now, producer, uh, actually program director, Chris Johnson. He's produced, he's co-hosted, he's covered the Nats, he's done a million things in the biz. Very good to me. CJ said, if you want to use the station's one credential, then go ahead. I said, 
yeah, what the fuck? I'm not doing anything. It's the middle of winter. I kind of want to see that new stadium. So let's go. And the stadium is fantastic. I can say that without any hesitation whatsoever. It is a fantastic stadium. Now, I know it kills birds by the tree full. I know that many taxpayers up there are still pissed about how it went down. I know. I get it. I understand it. Hell of a place, though. And the fact that it is a multi-use facility because it's indoors and you can have conventions there and you can have concerts there, although I hear the acoustics aren't very good. More on that in a second. You know, that dampens it just a a little bit. But as football stadiums go, I, I just was blown away. The translucent roof with the big windows on the west end of the stadium, it just lets light pour in. It almost looks surreal, and it wasn't even that sunny of a day. I've seen games in the you know in the fall on TV where the light is pouring through, and it looks flat out surreal. And you can open the end of the you know doors open on the one end to let in some fresh air on the nice days in Minneapolis. It, you know whatever days those are. I think it's October seventh through the fifteenth is pretty nice, or so I hear. And it's a great stadium. My team, the Redskins, have trotted out a model of their stadium that they want to get built at a place to be determined that is going to have a moat and no roof and no indoors and no air conditioning and just an outdoor stadium. In fact, almost like an outdoor bowl. It looks a lot like a replica of the big sombrero in Tampa. Oh, yeah, man, that used to play. It was awesome. It held Super Bowls, and Berman loved it. Let's go to the big sombrero. Okay. You really think that's what modern stadium design should be about? I'm praying that this prototype they trotted out is not going to be anything like the final product. I hope it's just a, uh, you know, we were thinking about maybe this. I say think about something different. Every good stadium that's been built recently pretty much has something that most fans would say, hey, that's really good, or I like this. This enhances my enjoyment of the game. For example, Minnesota. Lots of natural light, both through the roof and the side windows. Not bad, right? It's what you want up in Minnesota where it can get dark and cold quickly in the fall and the winter. Let's see. Jerry World, giant TVs. Brilliant. Who doesn't want a giant TV to watch the game right in front of them? Mercedes-Benz Stadium, a big-ass circular jumbotron. Oh, and cheap food they're going to have. San Francisco allegedly has good Wi-Fi. They also have a bad team, and they've got a you know, whole half of the stadium that is in the direct sunlight, and so people get pretty blistered out there in the hot sun. Okay. Arizona, built a retractable roof. Got to have air conditioning. Gets super-duper hot in the summer and stays that way into September. In October, they didn't fuck around. They said, we're going to build a roof and some air conditioning. Seattle, Pittsburgh, both outdoor stadiums, but they've got nice views of the city by way of you know the one end zone, I think, in both Heinz Field and in Seattle is kind of cut away so you can see through to downtown landmarks. Indianapolis, Houston, retractable roofs. MetLife, which I think is one of the more bland of the new stadium designs, has not one, not two, not three, but four. Jumbotrons, all things that most fans would go, hey, that's kind of nice. 
Meanwhile, we're going to have a moat and no roof. And I'm not happy if that's going to be the case. My buddy Want to Count Road says, oh, we got to get natural turf, though. We have to. I'm like, why? He didn't like the fact I was raving about the Viking Stadium because it's synthetic grass. Hey, who cares? The synthetic is way easier to maintain. It's a more uniform surface. People slip less. And it's going to keep getting better and better. The current field turf is so much better than the old field turf. And I think we're going to come up someday with an even more realistic indoor grass that looks and feels and plays like real real grass. Just give it time. But otherwise, I think indoor is the way to go. Who wants to be outdoors? Come on. So the game itself, you know, the replays on the Jumbotron inside the stadium, they were pretty plentiful, but they weren't very fast. I quickly came to appreciate just how fast the replays on TV come and how good they are, the angles they use. They use kind of an in-house feed in the stadium because my inclination, and I think most people's inclination would be, hey, you got a Jumbotron, put the game on TV. Give me the remote. Uh, what channel is NBC? Is it 4? Is it 7? Is it 11? What? The problem is the, t- the production, the TV production from NBC, they take the cameras that are shooting the game on the field, feed them into the truck, put all the graphics packages on top of it and all the extra stuff in the first down line and you know the various things that go with it and overlay the announcers, mix it all together, and then pfft, shoot it out back to... You know, they shoot it out to the world. They uplink it via satellite. I think they send it out via fiber. Uh, I should ask my boy one account about that because he works in the high-speed fiber business in sales, and so he talks about how his company used to carry, I think, the Super Bowl and about 80% of all porn online, so there's that for you. I think it's sent out via satellite and via fiber from the site, but don't quote me on it. And if you were to just to bring that back into the stadium and put it on the Jumbotron, it would be way behind. It would probably be eight or nine seconds behind. I'd love for there to be a way to mix the television feed of big games and then port it right into the stadium, but that that may be a bit much to ask. I was listening to the game on a special giveaway radio that the NFL gave to the media. I don't think they gave it away to fans, although I may be wrong about that. Just one simple speaker that hooked over your ear, and you click it on, and it had three frequencies. It was a digital radio, three frequencies labeled E1, E2, E3. One frequency was the Kevin Harlan Westwood One radio call. The other frequency was the Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth broadcast. And the third one was the game in Espanol. And so I listened to Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, which was synced up really pretty much live with the action. They gave you a a straight feed of that, which was good and important because I would not have known that Malcolm Butler was not playing in this game if I had not been listening to that in my ear. And I am damn sure that many, if not most, in the stadium had no idea that Malcolm Butler was not playing. And you might say, well, isn't the stadium half Patriot fans and aren't they hardcore Patriot fans, and how could they not notice that one of their top corners wasn't playing in the game? My answer is, you'd think that. 
But when I see Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports, the biggest chowed head out there, admit afterwards he had no idea that Butler didn't play as he was in the game and then at the stadium, tells you all you need to know. Sometimes you just don't know. It's, it's harder to see the numbers than you think. And you're watching the game, you're taking in the spectacle, you're not necessarily doing a head count of, okay, is everybody on the field? 53, 92, okay, here's a sub package. Who's our DNs here? Uh, how many safeties do we have? It happens so fast. But I heard on the radio, I heard at least on my earpiece through Al Michaels that, oh, Malcolm Butner's not playing, and they showed him crying on the sideline. This is going to be one huge-ass story in the days to come. And already, rumors are swirling about mispractice, caught with weed, wasn't giving his all, laying into the coaches, yada, yada, yada. This is a tough one because on the one hand, you can't let a guy go completely off the reservation with no consequence because even if he's going to be gone next year, which he almost certainly will because he's an unrestricted free agent, even if he's gone next year, you've got other guys on the team that you've got to coach next year. And if these other guys know that Butler was late and he was mouthing off to coaches and he had weed and blah, 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 makes it harder to coach those guys. But given the fact that Malcolm Butler played 98 of all snaps in the regular season, and he was a healthy scratch. And I don't want to hear about, oh, he might have been sick. Bullshit. He suited up. And even if he was sick, he could have given you a few series and see how it goes. People play sick all the time. The fact that he was a healthy scratch was shocking. And they say as I record this on Monday night, they say that the rest of the secondary did not know he was not going to play until just before kickoff, which raises a very good point. Isn't that crazy that you're going to bench a guy and then all of a sudden tell the rest of the secondary, yeah, Malcolm Butler won't be there. So you're in and you get to adjust to you know everything we're doing out there on the biggest stage. So good luck to you there. Try to get the name of the guy who uh, replaced him. Hold on a second. This is why I did all that hard work to write out my depth charts, handwritten depth charts, so I'd have a better visual memory of exactly who is where and what on each team. Okay, here we go. Well, why don't you remember it then? My memory's not very good. Uh, let's see. It was Duran Harmon. Duran Harmon, who's normally a safety, moved to outside corner to replace Butler opposite Gilmore. Gilmore was having a really good time giving Alshon Jeffrey fits, and they were talking shit the whole time. Oh, no, excuse me. Harmon did not move over. Harmon stayed. It was Eric Rowe, backup quarterback. Backup corner who replaced Malcolm Butler. So you're telling me you replaced a guy at the last second without telling everyone else? That, to me, doesn't sound like good coaching. But... He's Belichick. I'm a guy with a podcast. (laughs) So (laughs) go figure on that. So anyway, that's going to be talked about for some time to come. And we're going to hear a lot of salacious stuff. My theory is that maybe he was caught sleeping with the owner's sexy, hot, half-his-age girlfriend. Because, you know... To not play in the Super Bowl when you were the hero just three years ago and you played 98% of the snaps, boy, oh boy, you must have done something bad. And normally, 
a 70-year-old owner's wife is not going to be something that a player would say, oh, yeah, I'd hit that. But go Google search Kraft's girlfriend. It's plausible. That's all I'm saying. It's plausible. To be continued, no question about it. All right, let me get to some other stuff because, God, man, I've been blabbing on a long time. I was only going to go 30 minutes today by myself, and now I'm having fun telling you stories of your from what it was. Grandpa Zabe, what was it like to cover the Super Bowl? I feel so fucking old, man, telling these stories. But to me, it feels like almost yesterday. It really does. It really does. So, yeah, the stadium, okay, little things. Replays are slow. I didn't get to see the hit on Cooks because of the fact uh, that he got completely demolished. And when I saw him not moving, just taking a, a field turf nap, I'm like, Jesus. Almost feel like uh, Jim Ross. Oh, I killed him! He killed him! Unbelievable! He's dead! Of course, he did not come back to the game. They called it a head injury, but didn't call it a concussion. To which made me to think, so what other head injuries are there? I guess there's head gashes. But other than the gash on the head, a cut, isn't every head injury a concussion of sort? A brain injury of sort? What else would it be? Exactly. It could be a cracked skull. How about that? A cracked skull is not necessarily a concussion. So, oh, and one more thing. They did not have Coca-Cola. It was all Pepsi because Pepsi, of course, the official halftime sponsor of the NFL, and they're tied into the NFL. If you're a Pepsi person, that's great. Uh, no offense. It's Their diet product, their diet Pepsi, for me as a Diet Coke guy, is such unbelievable chemical piss. If Diet Coke went out of business and all there was was Diet Pepsi, I would be able to quit drinking diet soda in a heartbeat because it's that awful. My nutritionist would absolutely be head over heels if that was the case, but it's not. So I had to get a diet Pepsi, which then ruined, I say ruined, it definitely diminished my enjoyment of my soft pretzel and my slice of pizza. So these are things that start to wear on you as you are at the stadium because at home, I'd have exactly the drink I wanted. Oh, and I had to get a big-ass cup, which was more than I wanted, and it was $10, but it's a commemorative cup. Uh, did you save it? No, I threw that shit away. Are you kidding me? Plastic cup? What do we do, a plastic cup from the Super Bowl? We could prove you went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, okay. I just tell people. I went. I got pictures. I, uh, yeah, it was too big of a cup, and then I go looking for the lids, and they quickly go, no lids. Because at stadiums, God forbid... You jerry-rig a lid to hold the fluid in to then be able to throw the $10 soda and hit somebody in the head with it 10, 20, 50 rows down. That if there's no lid, the water is going to spill out quickly, and by the time it reaches the target, it will carry much less oomph. Okay, whatever. Can you give me some? They, They were giving out bottles of water. I'd say bottles of water are pretty easy, and I think they took the caps from you. But it'd be pretty easy to, oh, I don't know, smuggle your own cap in if you wanted to, or perhaps tape it up or put a bunch of napkins in there to make it a projectile. They think about this stuff way too much. Hall of Fame, Joe Jacoby got snubbed. It's an outrage once again, and there's nothing that can be done at this point. He's going to go into the pool of veterans 
committee members, and hopefully he'll get in eventually, like Jerry Kramer. Jerry Kramer getting in finally was a complete joke. It took way too long. Uh, This committee, I, I cannot tell you exactly how much contempt I have for them, all of them. They're assholes. Generally speaking, every single one of them who sits on that committee are unredeemable, out of touch, buffet grazing dickheads. They should all quit. If they had any self-esteem, if they had any respect for football, they would quit. And the argument is simple for them quitting. How would they know the difference between a Hall of Fame left tackle and a Hall of Fame right tackle or a Hall of Fame guard? How are they qualified? They're deciding between Joe Jacoby and Alan Fanica and Tony Baselli. Seriously? John Clayton, that rumpled shirt-wearing squidnik, you should see John Clayton in person. He's even less impressive than he is on TV. Nobody's covered the NFL for many years. Who gives a fuck? What does this guy know? How do you know? There are no stats for offensive linemen. These writers have no idea, and they are so petty, and they have such agendas. I heard that one person on the committee when they were presenting somebody said, oh, and this guy visited Ground Zero as well after 9-11. And some people in the room were like, what the fuck? Who cares? This is not supposed to be part of it. It's in the bylaws and the instructions. Stuff off the field does not matter. Good, bad, or anything else. This dumb fuck brought it up anyway. Guy didn't get in. Not this time. I won't say who it is. Somebody else uh, on the committee said they'd sensed a definite sort of racial undertone to the Hall of Fame voters who still didn't want to put T.O. in the in the Hall of Fame, which is insane. I said, really, a racial thing? He said, yeah, you know, T.O. being a very outspoken, cocky, mouthy wide receiver. I mean, Randy Moss was similar. He just wasn't as crazy as T.O. per se. But that was the vibe that I heard from somebody that, yeah, that was there. He got in. And he should have. But Joe Jacoby should have got in as well. Joe suffered from three things. One, it got too late for him in the process too quick, so he was a fish out of water. Because look at the class. It's a, you know The five guys who went in, they're all modern players, most of them who are on TV or do TV-ish stuff. And then there's Jake. The second thing he suffered from, he wasn't drafted high. In fact, he wasn't drafted at all. The bias against guys who are undrafted is not... To be trivialized. Doesn't mean, though, that small school guys like Jerry Rice or Walter Payton, and they went to small schools, uh, HBCUs, I believe, both of them. Uh, It's not like they can't make the Hall of Fame. It's not like undrafted guys can't do that. Tom Brady's going. He's a six-round draft pick. But it just, for, for guys otherwise that you don't have stats for, and you can't just say, well, of course he was great. Look at all these catches. Look at all these tackles. Look at all this whatever. Guys like Joe Jacoby. That hurts him. He was undrafted out of Louisville. In fact, he was going to be a defensive lineman. They flipped him. Went on to be a dominant O-lineman. You can look up, up, all, you can look, look up all his accomplishments. It's ridiculous. And the third big thing is Jake does not look good or speak well. He is the most gentle, funny, normal, regular dude with a great family. But he looks kind of like something out of Frankenstein's lab. With a rutted face and a receding hairline, or receded as as it were, and he has a, a bit of a lisp, 
had a bit of a high, soft voice. He doesn't sound at all like a guy who would pound you into the ground like a tent stake if you were a defensive end or a linebacker trying to come at him. He was better than Russ Grimm, who's in the Hall of Fame as a guard. Nothing against Russ Grimm. Russ Grimm was great, and I believe he should have been a Hall of Famer, especially because it was Grimm and Jacoby that were the anchors of that line, the Hogs, that dominated pro football in the 80s and early 90s. But Jake played longer than Grimm. And on the 91 Super Bowl team, 91-92, Jacoby was still a starter. Grimm was a backup. Grimm is in. Jacoby's not. Why? Grimm's more of a regular guy. A little bit better looking. Doesn't have a speech impediment. And more importantly, was coaching. Was coaching around the time that he hit his sweet spot for getting into the Hall of Fame. So people knew about him. Joe Jacoby committed the unpardonable sin of going back and having a life after football, having a family after football, running a car dealership after football, going to his daughter's swim meets after football. Great swimmers, by the way. Tall gals, as you would expect. Uh, Jake's wife is very tall. And he was out of the spotlight. And I'm telling you, that matters to these voters. These voters are petty, stupid, easily manipulated, herd voters. And they like voting in TV stars. That's why Kurt Warner, who is borderline, and I love Kurt Warner, I love his story, I believe the Hall of Fame should include certain stories that maybe don't have the entire body of stats to back him up, and Kurt Warner is one of those stories I would have put him in, but I recognize he's a borderline Hall of Fame guy. He's in. Terrell Davis is in. Terrell Davis played for a blink in the NFL. Yeah, but look, when he played, he was dominant. I know. And it's not his fault his knee got blown out. I know. But still, there's certain careers too short. Can't put them in. Jacoby's not in. It's a debacle. So, oh yeah, one more thing. (laughs) They actually use Pro Bowls as a metric when thinking about or talking about Hall of Famers. How fucking stupid is that? Pro Bowls. I'm assuming they only list a guy when they're considering him for the Hall of Fame. I'm considering I'm I'm assuming they only use Pro Bowls he was voted into. Not Pro Bowls where he was a replacement. I would hope and pray that's the case. But who knows? The Pro Bowl back in Jake's day in the eighties, you could only get ballots at the stadium, as I recall. And then they started doing some promotions where you can get your ballot for the Pro Bowl at the stadium or there might be a a pyramid of Bud Light or something in the supermarket and you can get your ballots there. And if you wanted wanted to fill out a bunch for your team, you had to literally get a stack of them. I remember seeing at a baseball game once. This was for the baseball uh, all-star game. uh, A big woman with a giant stack of ballots and a knitting needle just pachunk. Pachunk, pachunk, punching out 20 or 30 at a time. Well, now, voting for the Pro Bowl, you do it online. The internet from all over the world. Oh, but there's browser limitations. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's no way around that. Vote via your phone. They use Pro Bowl voting as a metric in Hall of Fame consideration. How stupid is that? Oh, Joe DeLama is in the Hall of Fame. He was a guard on the Buffalo Bills for the so-called electric company line that blocked for O.J. Simpson. He's a great player. Six-time All-Pro. 
But Joe Delamalure, who got in in 2003, I remember this distinctly. Andy and I talked about this, and I'll remind it, bring it up with Andy as well. Joe Delamalure put on a full court press lobbying to get into the Hall of Fame for about five years. And it worked. He finally got the Hall of Fame voters, this stupid-ass group of sports writers, to, to crack. But he had to lobby and lobby and lobby. And I mean, I hope it was great for Joe Delamalur. I hope he's killing it in Buffalo or upstate New York doing golf tournaments and signing his autograph. That'll be $5, please. Joe Delamalur, Hall of Famer. Stupid. Halftime show. I tease this in the tease. I, I don't have time to really get into it here. But Justin Timberlake, I thought was great. I couldn't tell from the stands. I'm going to watch it on TV as soon as I'm done taping this right here. I don't know why everyone's so negative. My daughter said, why is everyone so negative, Dad? And I'm like, yeah, you know, people are picky. And that bar is set high for the Super Bowl halftime show, right? Timberlake, I'm not, like, I don't like have all his albums on Spotify. I don't have a super Timberlake set list. I know his hits. He won me over by just being like a regular dude in addition to being a superstar, a guy who can dance and sing and play instruments and everything else. He won me over with Dick in a Box. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I mean, that's what all, that's all I would do if I could sing or play music. I would just sit around and make lewd, funny, stupid songs and sing them. And that's what he did with you know, Lonely Island. And then they made videos that were even funnier that went with the songs. Dick in a box. I'm on a boat. Jizzed in my pants. Uh, the Michael Bolton one. I forget the name of it. But yeah. So I thought the show was okay. I couldn't hear him very well. I think the acoustics in the building are not that great. People said that to me. Uh, that texted me, tweeted me, yeah, it's a great stadium, but not not good for concerts. Could be I've got old, deaf radio guy ears anyway. Then there was the Prince thing, where he did uh, the tribute to Prince up on the big silk screen, I guess. The big silk whatever banner. There was rumor that there might be a Prince hologram. And that he might do a duet with that. And people said, he better not. Because one, I didn't know there was beef between Prince and uh, JT during their lifetime. But apparently there was some diss tracks here and there along the way. Second thing is, Prince said in an interview that he thought the hologram shit was voodoo. He said, that's some of the most demonic shit ever. I don't want to do that. He's like, man, if I was made to go you know, jam with Buddy Holly, then I would have lived in the same era. Not going to do it. I never want to do it. That's why he was obsessed with owning his name and likeness and image. And then there's people that say that Justin Timberlake should not have done Prince because it's about cultural appropriation. You need to Google this one if you've never heard of it. But it's, to me, the most racist, bullshit, idiotic thing I've ever heard. It basically says, hey, man, you're a white guy. Don't do that black music stuff. That's not your music. That's your, you're appropriating our culture. So what, a white guy can't dance? White guy can't rap? White guy can't what exactly? Does he need permission? Uh, does he need to pay royalties? You know, music, if you steal a hook, if you steal enough of a song, you can get your ass sued for it. See the uh, Robin Thicke court case uh, about you know that. And that's been going on in music forever. But you're just saying you don't like Justin Timberlake because 
you know, he's trying to culturally appropriate things. I know there was a period in which he did have cornrows, which I thought was just a bad look for him. But is that cultural appropriation? I've seen stories about how some people have accused chefs and restaurants of cultural appropriation because, hey, man, you're white. What are you doing with a Thai curry chicken dish? That's offensive to me. You're stealing my culture's food. Oh, God. Get the hell out of here with that. TV rating was down 3%, which to me is crazy. Exciting game, all offense, up and down the field. TV number was down 3%. The NFL is apparently bleeding off millennials like crazy. The 18-49 to 49 demo is not watching the NFL like other demos are. Not sure how to get them back. The league is not sure how to get them back. And yes, streaming is factored into that 3% decline. They are factoring in streaming. Don't say cord cutting, cord cutting. Everyone knows about cord cutting. Um, they just don't know. They don't know what's going on. It's not huge, but for that game, with the most yards of any NFL game ever, and only one punt, and a halftime show with a very popular international superstar, in Justin Timberlake, about to go on tour, no way that should be down 3%. Patriot fatigue, anthem controversy, should not have been down. Should have been up 3%. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? They're still the king. That's not a big deal, but it's, I'd say it's concerning. As Steve Martin once said in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, wait, it wasn't Steve Martin, somebody said, you're going the wrong way. It's the wrong direction. And you can say, well, all of TV is down right now because of Netflix and everything else. Not everything is down. There are year-to-year similar products that are up. I believe NBA ratings are up. Even though it's a much smaller number, they're going the right direction. The NFL is not going the right direction, and that is interesting. All right, 10 and 10. I got 10 minutes left here. Not even that, 49 minutes. Holy shit, shut up. Ten, 10 shots in less than 10 minutes. Here we go. Number one, no way Brady is playing to 45. Obviously, I was impressed at how well he played yesterday, but come on. I say he's got one more good year, one bad year, and then something's going to snap, crackle, pop, or it's just not going to go anymore, and I say he plays two more years. One good, one bad, we'll see. Uber driver, on the way to the airport, took me to the fuel tanks, because that's the official address of the Minneapolis airport as you punch it into Uber. We're so dependent upon these apps and these navigation things that we just go, uh, my hotel, Minneapolis airport, done. You think the guy knows where he's going, but this guy seems like he had been in town for less than a few months, probably been driving Uber for less than that, and we're rolling up to the airport at 5.30 a.m., and it's totally dark. There's runway lights I see just behind a chain-link fence with barbed wire, and there's giant aircraft hangars and and fuel tanks. And I'm like, we are not in the right place. Uh, Number three, Charch's virtual reality game. Man, it was awesome. And it's the worst VR we're ever going to have. Got to get a higher resolution headset. Got to get games that are a little bit more robust. It crashed a lot on us, which Charge kept apologizing, saying it normally didn't crash this much. Well, it did for me. But what I did see of it was pretty mind-blowing, and it's only going to get better. In fact, he said there's now a 4K headset, wireless, that is going to be incredible. Expensive, but incredible. I met Jack Jablonski's father by happenstance 
at a bar in St. Paul on Thursday night. Jack Jablonski, you can Google him. Tragic story. High school hockey phenom, state of Minnesota, paralyzed, playing hockey with a hit to the boards head first. Father could not have been a nicer guy. I'm going to try to get his son, uh, Jack, on the show. He does a podcast, works out at USC. He's going to get his degree. Inspirational story. He says he's trying to very hard every day, just mentally, to move some of his extremities after this accident, and I can't wait to talk to him. Father was unbelievable. Catch, no catch. Both those were catches in my book. It just I hate it we had to sit around for five minutes, each one, and argue it. I will say the Ertz catch was a real clone, or not a clone, but it was a, it was a kissing cousin of the Jesse James catch in shape and form and everything else. It's just Ertz had the good fortune of being three or four yards more away from the end line, so he had to run. He took two steps and then got clipped up and dived because he had to. Jesse James didn't, quote, establish himself as a runner because guess what? He didn't have to. Running was not important. Diving for the end zone was the only thing that mattered, and he got screwed, and so did the Steelers, and in this case, Ertz, I think correctly, was called a touchdown. The other one was very close, and there was a bobble, but in my book, I want those touchdowns. I want the referees to go, yep, you got it. And then if it's technically, well, it was a little bit loose, who cares? It'll all even out. The Super Bowl? Yeah, it'll even out. The logo bothers me in the NFL. I, several years ago, I think uh, 10 years ago, they or eight years ago at Dallas, they went to the monochromed logo where the Lombardi was the main feature of the logo and then the Roman numerals. It sucks. You go back and look at old Super Bowl logos. They were unique. They all incorporated the city. The design was memorable. Now it's just bland. It still bothers me. Did you see the story about the French fry baldness cure? That's right. The ingredient in McDonald's French fries, the chemical, it's a silicone derivative that keeps the oil from getting too frothy, they say, can apparently generate hair-growing cells. They think this is a huge breakthrough that could end the curse of baldness. I'll believe it when I see it. In the meantime, I'm going to eat some fries tomorrow for sure. And then speaking of eating things, the Philly fan who decided it was going to be a good idea on camera with people's cell phones after they won to get down on his hands and knees and eat a piece of horseshit on the ground is one of the most ridiculous things ever. But then again, I guess typical of this day and age in which, oh, I'm going to be semi-famous. So what do you do? Go around and brag? Yeah, I'm the guy that ate some shit. That's me. I love it that now we have that video forever because the Eagles, now that they've won a Super Bowl, can't hit them over the head with, hey, you haven't won a Super Bowl, what do you know? Empty trophy case, no rings, all those memes, all those comebacks, dead forever. But guess what we got now? Yeah, Philly fans eat shit. I've got the video to prove it. All right, that'll do it for today. I've gone on way too long, but I enjoyed it. And I really appreciate you guys sticking around until 11 p.m. at night on a Monday. I wanted to get this in the books. I wanted to get this posted. I didn't want to miss a day. Like Belichick says, no days off. Light on production. No guests. We'll get back on schedule schedule tomorrow. Remember, download this uh, podcast. Subscribe to it wherever you subscribe or download your podcast. Tell two friends. I'm going to rest my voice. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.